Welcome to the Latin Wealth Podcast, a podcast dedicated to educating the Latino community about entrepreneurship, investing, and business. Yo, what's going on, Latin Wealth family? Welcome to another episode to the Latin Wealth Podcast. Hope you guys are doing well. I'm doing phenomenal. You guys already know. If you're watching online, uh, as you can see, we're back in the studio. You guys know I love being in the studio. And I also love being in the studio with a guest, which we have on today. And we're going to give you some background information on her and what she does and whatnot. Phenomenal guest. Really excited for this conversation. Uh, first and foremost, she is an entrepreneur, a content creator. And with over 11 years of social media experience, she has learned to apply that experience to her business and content creations and things of that nature. And she's grown her social media following to over 600,000 followers across Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and just creating content about things that she's interested in that she likes, such as lifestyle, beauty, wellness, and things of that nature, even entrepreneurship as well. Um, She's even done some major brand partnerships with companies like Billy and Neutrogena. And her and her husband, her husband are also co-owners of a company, which they focus on customized commercial space and modern home building. She's doing a lot. Uh, phenomenal guest. Really excited for this conversation. Welcome to the podcast, Talia LeBlanc. How are you doing today? I am great. Oh my gosh, you did your homework. <laughs> <laughs> Is this what you do? <laughs> yeah, got it. Got to do it. I was going to say, you got to do it right with the introduction. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So, um, I appreciate that. <laughs> thank you for coming uh, to the studio and coming on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Excited to get into this conversation. Um, usually what we start on this podcast is just a little bit about yourself, your background. You were, when we didn't hit record, you were talking about how you from New York yeah. and now you're staying in Dallas and whatnot. So love to know, you know, how did you guys end, fr- end up from New York to Dallas and, you know, just your, uh, your childhood and growing up? Yeah. So um, this being the Latin wealth yeah. you know, podcast, um, I think it's important to to talk about the the background and how our parents got us here. You know, I'm first generation mm-hmm. American, so my parents were Dominican. Both of my parents are Dominican, and we, um, my mom actually worked at a chocolate factory in mm-hmm. New York City while she was getting her visa. She just had a working visa, so she wasn't like a permanent resident of the United States yet. And um, her going back and forth, she met my dad in DR one summer. They started dating. Mm-hmm. I came about yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then they were, were like, you oh. born in the DR? No, I wasn't. Okay, my mom okay. actually made, and this is a, a thing, you know, I, I thank my parents for this because they really were, were thoughtful. They were mm-hmm. like, I want to make sure I'm in the United States when I have Talia to mm-hmm. make sure that, you know, she has the opportunities yeah. because if you're born in DR, it's really hard Difficult. to like, oh my gosh, to get over here. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. So we went back and forth for multiple years. I was raised a total of like 11 years in the Dominican mm-hmm. Republic. Um, and then a few years in New York, back and forth. And then eventually, once my dad got his like full working visa, he was actually a pediatrician. He was a doctor mm. out there and he had to do all his testing and stuff to be one here. He passed, thank goodness, because he was very mm. smart. And um, he was like, you know what? I have a friend in Dallas and he's a doctor and he says that Dallas is booming and it's mm. a great place to raise a family wow. and to start your own practice. Yeah. And eventually, after a few years of living in Dallas, he was able to do that. And he had a practice for 16 years. And that's wow. why... Um, I got here to Dallas. Yeah, like yeah, it was yeah. just like my parents because I was eleven, you know. <laughs> right, right. So talk to us about living in the DR and how how was that compared to New York and even to to Dallas? You, you moved to Dallas when you're eleven. I mean, you experienced a lot already. So talk to us about that. Yeah. So living in DR definitely makes you. Um, 
appreciative of the things once you get over here. Like mm. even um, the stark difference between DR and New York, I feel like they were both kind of like struggles in a mm. way. Like in New York, we lived in a basement. Mm -hmm. um, it was what very- part of New York? Um, we lived in Queens. Got it. Yeah, Queens, New York and like Woodside. We lived in my aunt's like house underneath, like in her basement and it was hella cold. And mm. you know, we had, I remember we used to sleep on one bed, mm. like all four of us, like me, my mom, my dad and my brother multiple covers multiple socks mm. it was so cold in the dr we didn't have any running water in our houses we didn't have electricity most days so mm. you know you learn to kind of just adapt so yeah. now that when we moved to dallas i was like oh like this is space. fancy <laughs> like this is a lot of space this is right, fancy right. this is great so yeah right. it, it was a huge difference mm -hmm. and i actually hated dallas when i moved here I was like, oh my gosh, there's going to be people on horses and mm. like, it's just going to be yeah. like, you know, country. Right. And it, it was a little bit, but not as yeah. much as I expected. Yeah. So what did you learn from, you said, you know, there was some struggles in the DR and New York, you know, besides learning how to adapt, which, you know, a lot of us that come from those environments, we just, that's something that we just pick up on. We got to learn how to adapt mm -hmm. and just to different circumstances. What else looking back, did you, did you learn from those moments? So looking back at those moments, it just made me less um, picky with a lot of stuff. Mm. Like, I'm just like, I just have the sense of gratefulness just mm. for, I'm like, man, I've had worse. Like, yeah. this isn't even that bad. Like, you know, we, we've been through worse situations. Like, oh, we don't have power for a day because Delaska happened, you know, like yeah. last year when the whole freeze you know, you just mm -hmm. learn to adapt and you learn to be grateful for even like the small things like having a, a toilet that flushes, you mm -hmm. know, having water that runs. I also don't really take hot showers because I've never grown up with hot water. Mm -hmm. So like to this day, people think I'm weird because I take cold showers. <laughs> a side note on that, like, um, you know, there's a lot of health benefits with taking cold showers and yeah. whatnot. And so like I've been trying to do it a lot more recently. <laughs> It's hard though. It's difficult. I be telling my wife like I stick my head in real quick and then pop it out. Yeah. Uh, but no, yeah, that, that's that's crazy. That's dope. Yeah. Yeah. You just you just learn to be. I don't know. I feel like I have tougher skin. Mm. Um, and I'm not. Even though I am pretty like girly, like I'm a girly girl, but I'm mm. very like man. Like listen, if this is we gotta eat dirt today, I guess yeah, we're eating dirt for sure. <laughs> man, that's what's up. Okay, so you moved to Dallas when you were 11. At first, you didn't really like it. It's kind of you feeling like it, it might be country or something like that. Yeah. Talk to us about your experience growing up in Dallas. Oh, so, man, it was a different time than it is now. Um, I definitely faced some adversity, mm. some, um, I don't know if it's, I guess, some prejudice. I'm not really sure, you know, because I'm, you know, Dominicans, you know, we're, I, I, in comparison to, like, most black people in the United States, I'm, like, light-skinned, right? But for uh, Latina, I'm dark. I'm a dark mm. Latina, you know, so I'm, I'm an Afro-Latina. So coming here, like, coming from New York, I remember the first day of school, and I was wearing like a jean skirt with like white Jordans with mm -hmm. like a gold trim and crocodile skin. Like it was mm -hmm. like a, the yeah, whole yeah. nine. It was like there were super dope uh, Jordans and like a Fila shirt. And my hair was curly. It was like the two strands mm -hmm. with the gel, you know, very like like New York yeah, Latina. New York. And I came in and like the first thing a girl ever said to me, she was like, why are you wearing tennis shoes mm. with a skirt you're supposed to wear flip-flops and i was like tennis shoes i don't play tennis these are sneakers like mm -hmm. i was so confused because yeah, it was confused. two different worlds um and i felt like just like dang like i don't belong and it was kind of the first few years i was trying to figure out where i belonged because in the hispanic community i was still not but then with the black community mm -hmm. i was still not and then like with the white community i was definitely mm -hmm. not so it was, a, it was a big adjustment and i spent a few years going through different phases you know i was preppy one year 
super like you know latina one year mm-hmm. another year i was like i had my emo phase and mm-hmm. you know it was all kinds of stuff yeah, so trying to just figure out who you are yeah. you know what i'm saying yeah um when did you at what point maybe it was later on in your life when did you feel like you found truly who you were as a person honestly a few years ago yeah it wasn't even like i'm 31 now probably i want to say probably when i met my husband mm. and i say that not Is because he from dallas um he's actually from orange texas a small town orange texas it's like beaumont port arthur like that the golden Mm -hmm. triangle i think is what they call it um and he's he is someone that's like very like blackity black black even though he Mm -hmm. (laughs) light-skinned he light-skinned but he's very he's very like pro-black pro like you know history he loves history and i knew a lot about my dominican history i knew a lot about my latin history but you know us being black also there's a lot of rich black history in the dominican republic and i didn't really know too much of it because since we speak Mm -hmm. spanish and there's so much more of a spanish um culture in the dominican republic us as a people we're still black and plus indigenous tainos and spaniard Mm -hmm. because of the colonization that happened there and we just got really into the whole history part we Mm -hmm. even went to washington dc to the african-american museum and like the very first room that you go into in that museum it talks about the transatlantic uh, mm-hmm. slave trade and the first ship bellies were filled with um west africans and mm-hmm. the first place they landed was la hispaniola which is the island that we know today of dominican republic and yeah. haiti yeah. so we all come from the, the same place sure. and there's a lot of colorism and a lot of a lot of issues even some dominicans don't consider themselves black they're like mm-hmm. no 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 i'm dominican or mm-hmm. i'm this and that and the third so there's a lot of that going on so I had to really, like, I was like, let me find out my history. Like, let me embrace, like, who I really am because I've always felt like I didn't yeah. know where I belonged. And now I'm just like, you know, I'm Afro-Latina. Like, yeah. I'm Latina and I'm also black. So you're yeah. just going to have to get both worlds. <laughs> no, absolutely. And I think, you know, that's one of the reasons why we started the Latin Wealth Podcast is because we wanted to create that representation yeah. and show people that there are Afro-Latinos that are, are doing great in business, that are doing well in life or, you know, content creators, whatever that c- the case is, um, and showcase that um, it's it's an issue not only in Dominican Republic, but all over Cuba. Puerto R- I'm Puerto Rican. Yeah. It's all over the Caribbean. So, you know, we want to continue to take those steps to unite one e- uh, each other, uplift right. one another, and just continue to create that representation that, like, yo, if you feel like you don't, if you can't do it, we got somebody that we just interviewed that, has done it that came from where you come from that looks like what you look like Mm -hmm. and that's been through what you've been through so i love that that you're sharing your experience and um representation is very important oh my gosh i I harp on it so much because growing up especially in social media like me always being a creative Mm -hmm. and wanting to create i never saw girls that look like me um there's a whole other uh slew of things that i didn't see that represented me but one of the main obvious things was you know all the popular influencers were these like white Mm -hmm. beautiful blue-eyed skinny girls and i'm like i I mean that's cool like that's great but like that's not i don't see myself anywhere so what i harp on now when i talk to people i want to be a content creator but Mm -hmm. i just don't know um i just don't know like i don't see anywhere that i fit in and i was like when you don't see yourself in the lineup that slot is open Mm -hmm. for you to step in and that's why you you actually become the representation um and it feels weird like oh but i'm not you know no you step into that spot like that i always harp on that that's why i think i've been able to create my own lane Mm, i love that i love that we'll we'll jump into that right now but i'm curious when did you start taking social media serious and when did you like 
maybe start seeing it as like a business or um yeah when, when, when was that point for you probably and was it always a goal for you to to go on that lane no actually like i loved creating for fun and like back in 2011 um when instagram came about i really started sharing like my fitness journey i was like competing in competitions and i started gaining a lot of followers i was like what the heck is going on i you was like all right cool what type of competitions I-, I was doing like npc um wellness uh, uh, bikini competitions uh-huh. all that kind of stuff i was on stage i have tons of pictures um and videos of back in the day when i was doing that when i started instagram and instagram kind of the fitness instagram stuff blew up that blew was like up. the first niche that really was popular on instagram so that's where i got started but really truthfully before that i was on zanga myspace i was like you know coding Mm. my little fingers away back in the day so i've been on socials for a really long time and i never really took it fully seriously because my main goals at first was i wanted to be an artist i wanted to sing i wanted to act i'm a theater kid and choir kid at Mm. heart like that's what i i did in middle school and high school and a little bit in college um so that's I never took it seriously until probably 2019 or so. I started seeing like a huge shift in the fact that there were actually roles that were uh, being created for businesses, actually like influencer marketing mm-hmm. roles. Um, also, uh, people getting hired to do campaigns to work with Sephora or with whatever, mm-hmm. whomever. And I was like, whoa, this is like becoming real. But it wasn't like serious serious until the pandemic then when we were all forced to be at home or whatever i just started creating more and more content and that's where my stuff blew up on tiktok and overnight it was like hundreds of thousands of followers and i was like oh (laughs) (laughs) damn (laughs) you're like all right we gotta do something about this and okay so um at this point you're married and what does your husband think of you blowing up on social like his his wife is blowing up like what's going on like was he how's he feeling oh he loves it yeah yeah he loves it and and i say it's so important to be with somebody that supports Mm -hmm. what you do especially if it's something that you're in the public eye a lot because that person is when you have a lot of eyes on you and you're open to criticism you're open you're opening up the doors for people to like know about your Mm -hmm. life and everything else and him included he's a part of my life and he is kind of like, you know, he's on his way of being his own content creator. Yeah, like he his creates own his own stuff too. And he's he's really stepping into that because I told him, I was like, you can do it. Like you're so insightful. You're so intelligent. Like you have a lot of knowledge on certain things and experience. And I think you should talk about it. But he's so supportive. Mm. And that's great because back in the day when I was a, a, a younger, I had another relationship where it was very like, and lots of insecurities mm. and lots of like, oh, you're not like all these people like your pictures. And I was like, I mean, yeah, that's like the point. Mm. Like, you know, I'm, I'm not doing yeah, anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I always tell, I always say this all the time. I'm like, look, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, content creator or something like that, like your partner that you step into it with, they have to be either a, your biggest fan mm-hmm. or they got to be in the game with you. Yep. And if they're not either one, they're going to be holding you back. So, Man. Like, just like your, your relationship my wife she's extremely supportive you know what i'm saying she pumping me up before i'm getting here she's like all right make sure you have a good interview have fun you know what i'm saying so um yeah that's dope that's great i love that because it's it's super important like if not when you go home you're stressed out because then then you're probably having arguments and having all this Mm -hmm. stuff and that's not really conducive to being in a in a positive and like growing environment Mm -hmm. at all for sure for sure all right so i love to jump into you know, 2020 hits, you're growing your social media account. It's blowing up. Um, talk to us about that process and like, okay, you're like, I'm getting all these followers. Like, what do I do next? Like, what type of content do, do I create? Are you thinking these questions? How do you like navigate 
in this space and kind of like hone in like what you want to do with it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So the tricky part about when you blow up on TikTok is that whatever you blow up for, it tends to only push you in that algorithm, whatever that is. Mm. And to understand better, I actually had 100 followers on TikTok. And I had this company reach out to me. They're like, hey. 100. 100. Just okay. 100. I think I even have a picture of like a screenshot okay, of okay. it. Um, and I, I had this company reach out. There were an agency. Uh, I think it was called a like casting or something. And they were like, hey, we're looking for people that just want to create educational content for TikTok. Because TikTok has a new program called Learn on TikTok. Mm. And I said, okay, what could I teach them? At that time, I was um, a property manager for an apartment complex. Mm. Um a high rise in Dallas and that's what I have been doing for the past five years and I was like well you know I'm into social media strategy so I was like you know this app is a lot Gen Z Gen Z that age really wants to move out one day they want to be able to have their own place they don't want to live at home so I was like let me teach them like you know these are the things that you need to have in place to get approved for an apartment this another series is once you're in the apartment these are the things that you look for like so I did so Mm -hmm. many videos they're like we need 40 videos in eight weeks and if you hit this amount of followers they made it like outrageous like if you hit a hundred thousand followers we'll give you like a fifteen hundred dollar bonus and all this stuff and i was like oh my gosh like all right let me let me do it get to it (laughs) but if you did the 40 videos you would get a thousand dollars anyway so i was Mm -hmm. like okay minimum i can walk away with a thousand dollars we're not doing anything it's the middle of pandemic i could bring a thousand extra bucks home Mm -hmm. all right cool and I'm a hustler. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah let's let do it. Get it. Let me get it. So I did it. And lo and behold, the very first video had like 7 million views overnight. I was what? like shook. I was like, <laughs> whoa, this is crazy. And then like 100,000 followers, 200,000 followers. Within two and a half weeks, I was like at 250,000. And I was pumping out the apartment content. So you was like, what's the bonus now? Oh, yeah. So <laughs> I said, actually hit now? every single bonus available. I think I walked away with like 4,000 bucks mm. because I hit, you were supposed to get like, roughly 15,000 views on every video. I mean, I hit everything and I was like, whoa. The only issue was that I did this, that was my nine to five. And then I had to come home and create content based around apartments. I even became coined apartment bestie. Mm. I was on The Real, on the TV show, The Real as the apartment bestie. They actually had me on for a segment. (laughs) It's on TV. (laughs) That's crazy. So it was such a cool lane. However, it wasn't my passion. And that's mm. the thing. You have to have discernment. Even when something is blowing up for you, if it's not what in like your heart of hearts, it's not what you actually want to do and create, eventually you're going to have to pivot and figure that out. And that's what I had to do. It came to the point where I was like, I don't want to create more apartment content. You're burnt out. I'm burnt out. Mm. I left my job, which was right at the time. So my dad got sick with COVID at the end of 2020. And he actually passed away on a uh, christmas eve of 2020 Mm. that was a pivotal moment in Mm. my life i put everything away i had to take care of my family i had Mm. to like you know make sure my mom was okay my little brother was okay i'm an eldest daughter so it's like you know it's like my job right your job yeah like it feels that way and i was like all right well we need to i need to step away and when i came back i was like you know what i'm gonna share something i've never shared before and that's when i my pcos um journey came about and that's what yeah that's what really cracked the can Mm -hmm. open yeah yeah I would love for you to, for those that don't know what PCOS is, you can dive into a little bit and talk to us about um, your journey with that. And I would say a little bit of your journey, but more so of like you creating content around your journey, I would say. 
Yeah, so PCOS is polycystic ovarian syndrome. And what that is, is a slew of different symptoms that women get. To the core, it's a hormonal and metabolic imbalance. Women experience things like lack of periods, um, weight gain, um, their cortisol levels are all jacked up, thyroid issues. Some women get facial hair, which is something I deal with. Mm. Um, on, on top of a whole bunch of other stuff, some women get periods that go on forever. Some don't get enough. Mm. It causes infertility, all kinds of stuff. It's a terrible, terrible thing however it it is um very prevalent it's mm. millions of women actually have it in the world and a lot of women may not even know they have it um it may start off with a chin hair or a chest hair like you don't you don't realize these things but it actually that's what's happening your hormones are, mm -hmm. are out of whack so i had been shaving my face since i was probably like 1920 and it got progressively worse as i got older and it was something I never shared on social media for as long as I had been in mm -hmm. the public eye. I had never shared it before. And then I was like, you know what? Like, I need to speak about something that I'm actually passionate about. And this is something that has been holding me back. I wanted to go for all of, like, my creative dreams. But I felt like I was holding back mm -hmm. this secret. Like, I was hiding something that I was, like, ashamed of. And I was like, you know what? I'm sick of this. Like, I, I hate getting my makeup professionally done because I'm afraid of people being all up in my face. Cameras everywhere. Like, ugh, I just don't know. Yeah. So I was like, I put out a video one day on Instagram and on TikTok. And I was like, I've never shared this before, but I have facial hair and I have to shave every day. Mm -hmm. And I just want to know if I'm alone in this. Like, there's just got to be more people. Well, to my surprise, the video went mega viral, mm. had millions of people view the video and so many women commenting and DMing me. To this day, I get probably 10 messages a day. Thank mm -hmm. you so much for posting it. I have always felt so ashamed and so alone. And once I started seeing those comments and dms i was like oh this is it like mm. this is a greater purpose this is something that i can actually like work towards empowering more women and making more content around how i deal with it to maybe help somebody else or even a young girl that's 16 years old like when i started gaining facial hair trying to navigate and figure it out actually having an influencer to look up to that actually shares something that you are ashamed of or feel embarrassed of mm. Man, yeah. I love it. So, I mean, what I was going to be one of my questions is like the importance of being authentic as a content creator yeah. and you being true to yourself. Um, you know, a lot of people, they, like you said, they, you're creating content and it was just burning you out. Yeah. Right. It wasn't something you're passionate about, even though there was opportunities for you to be on a TV show and probably yeah. maybe you could have made more money there. Maybe you could have grown to. Absolutely. Your, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Um, but. I always say your gift will make room for you. You know oh, what I'm saying? Yeah. Your gift will open up doors for you, will, will provide, pr provide opportunities for mm -hmm. you. And uh, I'm sure we'll get into it, but there's been companies that you, big company, Neutrogena, that's a huge company that yeah. you're collaborating with. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, talk to us about you creating that content. Once you started to build that community, what was next for you? Like, how did you want to hone in and like maybe monetize it? Were you ever even worried about that? Or was it just all about creating value for the community? Um, I mean, I definitely can't lie and say like, no, you know, I want to do no, all this for stuff for sure. free. For sure, for sure. <laughs> the goal is to, you know, yeah. to, you know, make your, your passions like work for you. Right. So um, once I started being really passionate about and that was one thing, I didn't want to be the poster child for PCOS. I didn't want you to come to my page so I can give you medical advice. Mm. That's not what I'm here for, because a lot of girls are like, hey, can you tell me I have these symptoms? Can you tell me what I need to test for or what I need to do? And I'm like, look, I'm not taking on that liability because that's a liability. Yeah. Um, but what I want to do, though, is I want to be 
um, kind of like your big sis or someone mm-hmm. that you can look up to that lives authentically through my beauty, wellness, lifestyle, entrepreneurship mm-hmm. content and know that it can be done, that you could still be feminine, that you do not mm-hmm. lack femininity, that there is nothing about you that is, is there's anything wrong with you just because you have facial hair or chest hair mm-hmm. or you don't get periods. So that was like one thing that I wanted to solidify. So I was like, okay, this is the type of content that I want. So I had to be careful with the kind of content that I was putting out. Like, oh, take this. Don't take that. No, this is what works for me. And I just want to be your inspo for Mm -hmm. this because we don't have that in our community or Mm -hmm. really anywhere on social media. But then I was like, you know, I really want to make this work for me. Like, I would love to partner with brands that I already use. Um, Mm -hmm. And it just like happened at the end of 2020. Everything was kind of preparing me for this for. I'm sorry, at the end of 2021, mm-hmm. um, once all of that happened, at the end of 2021, I was already like at 300 and some thousand followers. I had this lovely woman named Tristan English. Hello, Tristan. Mm-hmm. Um, she reached out to me. She was like, hey, do you have representation? And mm-hmm. I said, I do not, but I'm sure would like some. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what would you do for me? She's like, well, I'm a lawyer. And, you know, I, mm-hmm. I just left Big Law to like have my own influencer agency to where she would pitch for me like to brands and give them my rates, negotiate, make sure the contracts mm-hmm. are done packed. Wow. And that's when I realized I was like, wow, I can monetize off of like my community and off of like this thing that I have built. And sh- at the top of the year, we, we had been working for months at the end of the year to have some brands like lined up for 2022 and at the beginning of this year my very first collaboration was with billy razors which mm-hmm. i love the billy razors i'm always using them you was and, already using them before oh my i've used them since okay, like 2019 okay. so it was wow. like a brand that i actually know and love and that's, that's the thing up. about like authenticity like sometimes you want to make sure that the people that you follow actually work with companies that they know and love and use sometimes you know that's not mm-hmm. always the case it may be a company that you know, my agent is like, hey, like this company reached out. They want to send you something, see if you like it, and then y'all can work together. But it was so dope for it to be a company that I already talked mm-hmm. about, that I already liked. And, you know, they came back and I'll be transparent. Their first thing, they were like, hey, you know, we'll give you $8,000 for a video. And I said, a video? Huh? <laughs> yeah. A- yeah. That was like the first, the, my first big check. You said, how many videos you want? <laughs> I, man, I'm like $8,000 for a video. Yeah. That is crazy. And I was really nervous because like, man, I got to make sure this video is like really, really mm-hmm. good. That video went on to hit 4 million views mm-hmm. on TikTok. And for a, a sponsored ad post, those normally don't perform as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it just it just happened. And, yeah. you know, and I've had other paid posts that haven't done that well. Mm-hmm. But that one that changed the game for me. I was like, OK, I can really do yeah. this. So then my strategy changed from just posting for fun to like, let me post for fun and show myself authentically but also let me be strategic Mm, and let me make sure that when brands come to my page this is they can look at someone that they want to work with you know so that's where it changed because i I want i would love for you to touch on you know because there's a fine line between like look eight thousand dollars per post most people are like look how many posts you want i give you like (laughs) 10 of them right in a row but that's kind of like selling yourself out and now you just become like a a commercial or advertiser on social media so how do you you know, you just said you're strategic with it. So maybe once every couple of posts, you'll do a, a sponsored post. But how does that work for you? Like, how do you make sure that you're still being true and authentic to your own content and then, you know, dashing in some sponsored posts as well? Yeah. So you definitely have to be strategic about how and when you post. You definitely don't want 
one week with like three sponsored posts and mm-hmm. people are like, oh my gosh, she's always just posting right, ads. She's getting right. paid for this stuff. And I think influencers in the last few years have been getting a bad rap of like, oh, every influencer sells out. They sell whatever. They advertise anything for money. And that's not true. There's been stuff that I have absolutely turned away. I'm like, nah, that doesn't really align with my brand and I'm okay with that. Like the money, that money isn't worth it to me. Mm-hmm. And I learned that lesson the hard way because the money did seem appealing to me for this one company. It was like a CBD company. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I use CBD products every now and then. Sure. It wasn't anything, but it was like they wanted me to tap onto three product uh, products that they had. And I was like, all right, cool. So it required three videos. So I dropped three videos like within a few weeks of each other. And it was just like a lot. And they did they did terrible. Mm. I mean, I was like embarrassed. I was like, oh my God. This I'm about is- to take these down. Yeah, I was like, I gotta take these down. But like legally, like you can't take it down. So I'm like, mm. oh my gosh, this stuff got like a thousand views and I have half a million followers on TikTok. Like, you know, like what happened? And it's because it wasn't authentic to my content. I don't always talk about taking CBD products. It wasn't anything that my community mm-hmm. aligned with or that it didn't help them with PCOS. It didn't do, I mean, I twist, yeah. I, I made it to where I was like, you know, this is a great thing to take uh, during your night routine to get better sleep because better sleep actually does help your PCOS. It just wasn't as authentic to mm-hmm. me. So that was a really uh, a lesson for me. And I was like, you know what? Told my agent, I was like, the money's not worth it. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure that I work with brands that I actually use or that are beneficial to like my, the content that I'm already creating. Um, but you'd be surprised. You don't get as many um, opportunities to have like full of ads as mm, you think got it, got it. because it's a lot of back and forth negotiating is this going to work for me is this going to be good for my brand or whatever so you know there's there's tons of room and then obviously if you just have so many you're just so lucky yeah. to get so many uh, <laughs> people that want to work with you then you just have to pump out some more organic content mm-hmm. to fill those spaces in because you don't ever want to come off that way a hundred percent so now you said a um was it an agency or an agent who um who reached out to you um, for oh to to be a manager represented uh, yeah okay, yeah okay so I'm curious for the people that are looking to monetize that are looking to like yo how do I negotiate you know with other companies do I reach out do I wait till they reach out to me um, and they don't have somebody representing them what yeah. advice would you get to them um, maybe they don't have three hundred thousand followers maybe they have ten maybe they have yeah. fifty thousand whatever the case is. When do you feel like they can start monetizing? And if so, like, yo, should I be reaching out to them or do I wait? How does that work? Yeah. So I think that if you minimum at least have like 5,000 followers online and I've seen people do it with less, Mm -hmm. but I would say 5,000 is like a safe number. Um, now with reels and TikTok, there is such a capability for anyone to be able to go viral. So then your follower account does not matter as much as you think it does. Mm. It's the quality of content that you provide and the relatability that it can, and it can have on your audience. Um, I think that it's absolutely possible. Um, and that's why you should charge even more than you would think because mm. you're like, Oh, I only have 5,000, only 5,000 people are going to see it or 3000 people. Yeah. But have you seen a reel? I had a reel yeah. hit like 1.4 million for the first, I've never had anything on Instagram hit this many follow like views mm-hmm. before in my life until last week or something. And I realized the power of reels, like reels is super, like they're onto something. Yeah. The discoverability is great. So what I would highly recommend is create posts with the companies, like with the brands that you want to work with, mm-hmm. whether it's talking about them or using the product and, and, and make a few of them. And then you need to pitch yourself using those posts. So then you reach out to them. Don't wait for people to reach out to you because you'd be surprised what happens when you just ask. 
hey, my name is Talia. I have used your products in multiple posts. I absolutely love your brand and everything that you stand for. I would love to see if you guys have any um, collab opportunities coming up. Keep mm-hmm. me in mind. And, you know, if you don't, I would love to be added to the PR list if you guys have that. Because a lot of the times, if they don't have like a paid campaign coming up, they may have giftings to where if you just ask to be put on their PR list, mm-hmm. they ask you for your address. Hey, yeah, because they love the opportunity of people creating organic content with their products. Mm. So either you get free stuff and eventually build a relationship and they, they then they think of you because they know that you've, you've done this. Mm. And I love that. I love make the videos with the products already, then send it to them. Like, yo, send them what you're doing. Yeah. Opposed to you just saying, look, um, this is what I could potentially these companies want to see like what what that you can bring to the table they want right. to see something I guess with, with I guess maybe transitioning with with you and your husband and you being more transparent with you know some of your wins your losses the yeah. PCS PCOS and whatnot how was he feeling was he, I mean obviously he was probably still supportive and whatnot yeah. but um you know talk to us about that process yeah, so um, people, that's a question that I get asked all the time. Mm. Women will be in my DMs. Hey, how did you tell like, mm. you know, your your spouse or like your boyfriend like that, you know, you, that you grew facial hair, that you have PCOS? Like, how do you, how do you deal with that? How did that happen? And, you know, I, I think I told him like a year in, we were just hanging out and I was like, hey, like, can I tell you something? And he mm. was like, what? That was like, I have like a condition that like my hormones are really jacked up and it causes this, this, and this. It causes facial hair. And I was like waiting on him <laughs> to like react. <laughs> and he was like, okay. And I was like, you don't care? And he was like, why would I care about that? And I was mm. like, I don't know. You know, there's so many like, societal yeah. beauty standards and you know, you get so whatever. So he didn't care. He was just so like, no, like I love you. Like, what are you talking about? Like that, that's fine. He was like, man, I grew up seeing my aunties with facial hair mm. all over this time. He's like, now I just know it was PCOS mm-hmm. <laughs> that they were right, probably right, dealing right, with. Right. So he was very supportive. And, you know, I, I do share, I'm a very, I'm a chronic oversharer online. So, you know, for sure, anytime I'm like, you know, shaving and doing all kinds of stuff mm-hmm. online, he's very supportive and he's never felt any kind of way about it. But I think it's all about your confidence mm-hmm. and the confidence that I have built. And I've, I haven't always had the confidence but now I'm at a place where I want to feel sexy and feminine and empowered and I want other women to see the same mm. even when I'm shaving or whatever yeah. it is that I'm doing. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking about you and your husband, you guys are in business together. Yeah. I want to, I need to know like how do you separate being in a marriage and being business partners? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Y'all in business throughout the day and you come home, how do you keep that separate so that doesn't fall into, you know, what you guys got going on at the house? Yeah, so unless there's anything pertinent that needs like our actual attention or for us to talk about it after we get home, normally when we get home and like maybe the first hour or so, we'll still like, okay, so what do we got to do tomorrow? Like, you know, we have to meet the painters or we got to meet the concrete people or whatever it is. All right, cool. We got our schedule for tomorrow. Sounds good. No more talk about business. Mm -hmm. Like we're very strict on that because especially if you know, in business, things aren't always going to be perfect. And I'll tell you, like, we've been going through a hell with this, like, real estate mm-hmm. project we currently have. Yeah. Every roadblock imaginable has happened. And, you know, you have to be a strong, united front because it's us against the world, right? So we make sure that if it's a, a negative conversation or things that are bad that are going on in our project, even more so, we're like, all right, we're done talking about that for the night. Let's pour some wine. Let's watch a movie. Let's go to dinner. Let's mm-hmm. hang out with our dog. Like, that's it because that can bring in once you mix that into the household. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you because my parents, my when my dad owned the clinics 
um, my mom was his like firsthand and I would watch them talk about business till midnight and mm. you know they'd be drinking us up and talking about business but then you know arguments and things it was just like mm. never any separation so me growing up seeing that I was like I don't want that for that myself happening. yeah I got to the point where I would come home and I'm like mom dad can we just not talk about the business like yeah oh my gosh like I don't feel like we're a family anymore like we're just like a a, a, a business mm whatever i don't know what this is it's a business <laughs> yeah we're just a business like, like we don't talk about like can we talk about family stuff how was right. your day like right, right. <laughs> wow so you grow you seeing that growing up did that instill any fear in you like about you getting into business and with your family or was it just like no nah, i'm just not going down that route when i get with my family yeah no um I think it actually empowered me to have a business. It made me feel like, you know, mm. you know, a kid of immigrant parents or not. Like, I, if my parents could do it and they were the first ones to come to the United States and they had a business, I could do it too. It, it was definitely just empowering more than anything, even with the ups and downs and, and seeing everything. Mm. I saw what my dad could do for our family and for his all of his employees and even helping family back home. Like, him doing that was much more empowering to mm. me than seeing the bad stuff and being like, ah, I don't want to do yeah, that. <laughs> yeah. So how do your parents feel about you being in business and seeing what you're doing, right? Like you got, you're in social media. It's, yeah. it's not traditional. You know yeah. what I'm saying? They didn't grow up with it. So like, how, how are they, you know, I'm sure they're supportive, but how are they with, with you and you being in business? So um, I was actually my dad's GM for his four clinics that he had around the Metroplex. So my dad was very trusting of me. Mm. Um, I've, I always had a lot more responsibility growing up. But he always trusted my decision making and and everything. And he would call me for anything like, hey, like, do you think that we should do this or we should do that? So there was like a, a trust built from the very beginning. And my mom also like she was like, man, like, you're just strong. Like, you're just like, like, you you got it. Like, it was mm -hmm. never. Now, I will say they wanted me to finish school and I did not finish school. I went <laughs> I went to college for 10 years, political science major. I was supposed to do the lawyer route and. Mm -hmm. I wanted to work for the FBI at one point. Mm. I was like, you know, very like, you know, I want to do this. Ten years, he was in there. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> oh, I was. But because I was running my dad's businesses at the time, I couldn't fully commit to school. So it was always like a like a half thing. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I have to make a decision. I was like, do I keep wasting my time in school? Like at this point, I have so much experience in real workforce. Like, do I really just want to go back? I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm not saying education is bad. I think education is great. But the where I was heading in life, especially in my creative field, a political science uh, degree wasn't going to do anything mm -hmm. for me. So there was just no point in doing that. But my parents were always very supportive. And, and now that my dad's gone, you know, he was very supportive up until the point. He always knew. He was like, oh, I know you're mm -hmm. going to be you're going to be something huge. I don't know what you're going to do, but like mm -hmm. you're going to do amazing. And I was always supported. And I think yeah. that's important. Yeah. Um, my mom is more traditional. Yeah. So even yeah. to this day, she was like, no, but all. I'm like, mom, I am a professional. <laughs> right, 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 right. They think, you know, the old school way of thinking, they sometimes think that mm -hmm. you have to work for somebody or work for a company to like be somebody. And it's like, no, we can create our own stuff. Mm -hmm. And I can still be a professional, a respected professional 100%. in whatever field that I decide to do my own thing. In. 100%. I love that. Going back to social media a little bit and uh, being a content creator, where do you see... Uh, content creators going in the next three to five years like what what's the, the next thing for you um and i'm also curious you're working with a lot of brands and you don't have to answer this but have you ever thought about doing your own thing creating your own okay yeah we'll, we'll just you know what i'm saying no yeah no i want to talk about it i want to talk about it no go ahead talk about it but like um because the reason why i bring that up because sometimes i some people ask me about podcasting like 
yeah. yo, when can I start monetizing? When can I start making money with it? Usually when I hear that, it's kind of the wrong mindset to have because if you're just in it for the money, you're right. going to get burnt out. Like this whole conversation we're having, doing it, do it because you love it. Right. But what I say to them is like, yo, you can start monetizing with no followers. Like if you have your own product, your own service, mm-hmm. run an ad on that. You know what I'm saying? You don't need to wait for someone to reach out to you. You don't got to reach out to anybody. If you're doing something already, you know what I'm saying? Push them right. to that. So I'm curious, what where do you see the future of content creators going? Um, maybe even some of these platforms. And if you want to talk about, you know, a product or something that you got going on. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I definitely see um, content creators um, becoming their own brands. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is super important. I think for the longest time, um, we are always like, we want to work with all the big brands. We want to work with the big brands. And I think it's great to create relationships with big brands um, and just brands in general that you know and love because partnerships are never, you know, th- those things are never going to go out of, of style or, or mm-hmm. popularity. Like that's always going to be a thing. Um, just like how they used to work with celebrities, kind of like actors and, and musicians. Now they're tapping into influencers because content creators and influencers from YouTube to Instagram to TikTok and everything in between are becoming so popular that they're on the same playing field as actors and and everything else especially because 100% now actors and and artists are flocking to social media to have that relatability with their with their fans and so do content creators and like you guys came into our space and now we're like in this all same playing field so it's fair game like if you know if Nike wants to work with Serena Williams, which I mean, <laughs> they should because obviously that's like mm-hmm. a whole that they built her mm-hmm. um, whole brand with her and everything. But if they want to work with Serena Williams and they also want to work with Talia LeBlanc, like that's that's dope because mm-hmm. I've created my my lane. 100%. I have millions of, of audiences on this side and you have like it's it, there's so many different lanes that you can work with. So absolutely. I think that it's still going to be a thing. But I think that when we rely so much on brands to get paid, that's where we that's where things can get hard. And I say that from experience. At the beginning of the year, I was, um, brand deals were flowing. It was mm. awesome. I was making good money. And then towards the end of the year, things tapered because the economy shifted, inflation um, got worse, and um, brands' budgets were getting tighter and they didn't want to take as many risks because they're like, well, we don't know what's happening in the next six months due to you know all this stuff in the economy. So I was left just sitting there waiting like, and even me reaching out to brands, oh, we're not doing collabs at this time. We're not doing collabs. And it was just like doors shutting in front of my face. Mm-hmm. And I would even say like Neutrogena, like I worked with Neutrogena and I had a big campaign that was coming out with them and it actually never aired. Like this one commercial that we were wow. doing together, it actually never aired. And that broke my soul mm-hmm. because I was like, that was going to open up so many doors for me. And sometimes as a creator, you have to be prepared for campaigns not to air, not to come about. And it leaves you in a vulnerable position. So I feel like what every creator right now needs to focus on is creating your own brand. You are your brand. You are a business. And whatever you stand for, whatever that is, we're all unique. And we all have unique lenses that we tell our stories through. So if I want to do beauty and wellness and everything else, I can tell it through the lenses of, well, I have PCOS. Mm -hmm. And my story is very unique. And there's other women that feel underrepresented in this department. And I want to be that person to create that, right? So I am right now working on creating my own brand it's probably about nine to ten months to launch Mm -hmm. and i haven't disclosed too much about it but just know it's gonna be like i'm gonna be a trailblazer in this Mm. when when it comes out so i'll be the first to let you know talk about it when it's dropped (laughs) but i I found it and that literally lit 
my ass on fire when I when I felt like, oh my gosh, like I'm waiting on these brands to pay me when I could just be creating my own thing, own thing, you know, it's so important. And I think everyone should do it and make sure that you protect yourself, especially um, black and brown creators. We sometimes will pop out with stuff and start doing stuff and we don't protect the name. You know, you don't pull out, a, you know, take out your LLC or your S Corp, trademark your stuff. I've already done all that for my business that's coming out next year because I don't want, you know, the Kardashians or whomever yeah. that have so much power and money, you know, to come out and be like, oh, that's a good idea. Let yeah. me just go yeah. ahead and take that 100%. name. So, yeah, I think it's definitely. No, that's extremely important because I was just recently in a situation where I had to assess the situation to be like, do I really want to give up that much of the podcast this early on? I'll yeah. just leave it at that. But it's just, yeah. you really got to think about it. You really got to protect yourself. Mm-hmm um absolutely and yeah i mean that's that's powerful um i would love to transition a little bit and i would love to know how you take care of your mental health as an entrepreneur and as a content creator where you're constantly in the eyes of the public you know what i'm saying it's, it's your job and yeah. whatnot um how do you take a step back and take care of your mental health yeah, so I think uh, first and foremost, whenever you create content, be very cognizant of the fact that everything that you create content about is you opening a door for people to have opinions about. Mm -hmm. So the more the the more you, I don't say niche all the way down, but let's say I talk about PCOS or I talk about um, a little bit of entrepreneurship and just being a content creator in general, you can only really like look at those things that I talk about. Mm -hmm. I'm not telling you about my home life. I'm not telling you about you know, this, that, and the third. Sometimes I talk about my grief journey, you know, after losing dad, like, you know, I'm, I'm a human, I'm not a robot. Sure. So there's days that I'm like, y'all, I'm sad. Like I'm mm -hmm. thinking about my dad, especially the holiday season is like mm -hmm. hard. You know, he passed on Christmas Eve, which for Latinos, like Christmas Eve, that's Noche Buena. Like yeah. that's when we, that's when we eat and yeah. we get together, you know? Yeah, yeah. So it's a hard time. So um, during these times too, I just try to pay attention to my emotions i go to therapy um i started going to therapy i'm not even gonna lie and say that i go all the time my little brother seven years younger very smart mm -hmm. um he's like talia you need to go to therapy because you're always so strong and eventually the camel's back is gonna break yeah <laughs> so going to therapy um taking time for myself going to work out going on walks um and then just limiting what i consume sometimes like limiting my comments like mm. sometimes i post and go especially like youtube i don't know if you you asked me about like what platforms i think are coming about youtube shorts is a big one yep. i think that's one that everyone should be paying attention to because For sure. For sure. um there's already 18 million people on youtube consuming content like yeah. you just put it and it's already there and it's the same discoverability as like reels or, mm -hmm. or tiktok um but i posted my first a YouTube short a few weeks ago and the comments had me flabbergasted. I was mm. like, YouTube is a different monster yeah. when it comes to comments. I was not prepared. So I talked to other YouTube creators. I was like, hey, look, I'm not big on YouTube. I just kind of started really posting and I'm doing shorts because I'm more of a short form content creator. Mm -hmm. I, even though I've done long form before and they're like, post and go. Just mm. post, post and go. And go. Pay attention to the positive ones. Comment back so people know that you're commenting and that you're you know aware of the comment. But don't pay attention to anything else use your filtered words like you know if people are going to mm -hmm. be talking crazy under your post especially the whole shaving thing sometimes there's some mm -hmm. really dense people like oh you're a man or oh this i'm just yeah, like it's being out of pocket i'm like are you five years old like yeah, what is this yeah, yeah. <laughs> man it's crazy so um and we can start wrapping this thing up pretty soon but i'm curious you know for people creating content you know for you specifically you don't you moved away from focusing on one thing 
mm-hmm. from focusing on you know apartments and whatnot and how and um housing and whatnot um do you advise people to just create whatever they want do you think they should put together a strategy like what, what's your advice on that uh yeah from doing it and failing and doing all kinds of stuff i've learned definitely if you ever read the book atomic habits mm-hmm. um they talk Great about book. yes it's, it's an amazing mm-hmm. book but they talk about um habit stacking mm-hmm. and i i use the same thing so whatever that one thing that you're most passionate about post content on that solidify a community around that then even then you're going to start stacking mm. sub niches on top of your niche so now that i talk about pcos all the time well i love beauty and i want to be able to work with beauty brands and also talk about beauty because mm. i love beauty um so i'll be like through the lenses of because i have pcos and i have to shave and stuff like beauty is really important to me so these are my favorite products like you just have to like slowly build on top of that and eventually now people know i talk about skincare i talk about beauty i talk about pcos Mm -hmm. uh, i talk about fashion and wellness and fitness and all these stem from that one thing that i started with so yeah think about habit stacking but niche stacking and, and grow on it i love that i love that um it's it's been a, a phenomenal conversation with you uh, it's been a, a great time i think i'm I'm gonna ask you one last thing i'm gonna put you on the spot here and we can wrap this thing up okay um and thank you for your time and thank you for coming out to, to the studio and whatnot but who is one person that needs to be on the latin wealth podcast the only Ooh. rule is you gotta know them okay you know what i'm saying if you say j-lo it's cool <laughs> you just gotta know her if you say fat joe it's cool you know what i'm saying who's one person that needs to be on the latin wealth podcast Somebody that needs to be on the Latin wealth. Oh my gosh. And I have so many like mm-hmm. really good Latinas that are out here doing stuff. But so I have a friend, her name is um, Angelica Cirillo. Mm-hmm. And she's actually like the multicultural head of like Beam Centauri. Mm-hmm. And I think she's doing something really awesome. By uh, She works at this company that um, they own um, Jim Bean, Cavassier, uh, Maker's Mark. And they're always putting on events and stuff and like providing and providing like the alcohol and stuff for the the mm-hmm. the businesses or the events for black brown and asian communities and i dope. find that that's so dope. freaking dope and i think she's um she's a venezolana okay so yeah she's she's really dope and she's a really great person in the dallas area to to just know um she's she's not doing like you know huge big things on social media mm-hmm. but she's doing things within the, the community, community using her that's important her role in this yeah. company you know she's helped people like um uh kg yeah, cosign KG. everything like putting on events for us she's helped me with events for other stuff that i do she was so dope mm, we'll have to connect with her and have yeah. her on for sure yeah uh with that being said thank you once again for hopping on the latin wells podcast where can people reach out to you if they want to know more about your brand that's coming out more about your content and things of that nature where can people reach out and i'll link everything in the description of this podcast yeah, for sure. The The main place you can find me at is Instagram. And mm-hmm. I have my link on my Instagram can lead you to everywhere else. But that is Talia M. LeBlanc. And then from there, you can find me on everything else. I got you linkity link, yeah, link, yeah, link. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, with that being said, you guys already know, follow us on Instagram at Latin Wealth. And share this podcast episode with one other person that needs to hear this information. It was a phenomenal conversation. And with that being said, it's your boy, Chris. Catch you guys next week. Peace.